Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K. Wimmer. I am your co-host, also, Mariah Rose. That's right. You are listening to Laser Graves, a podcast about the 80s. And for some reason, I realized just today, last week we did The Children, which was 1980. Mm -hmm. And I said, boy, we never do movies from 1980. I looked today at Mm -hmm. our entire output as Laser Graves. Yeah. That was the very first episode we ever did from 1980. Well, I mean... We've covered the, like, 1980 in, like, our Weird Al episode and stuff. But we never exclusively focused on it. And here's why I'm pointing this out. Okay. Because last week was The Children 1980, and mm-hmm. this week we will be discussing The Apple 1980. So we're making up for lost time. Holy guacamole. <laughs> we're going to do all 1980 all the time. You know what? I don't. I think I'm okay with not doing 1980. I, there's a reason we don't. <laughs> no. I mean, there's some really cool stuff, but <laughs> but this one will um, this will make us stay a little clear for a while. But You know what, though? 1980... Um, Makes me realize there's a reason that we also don't have a podcast that is around the 70s. Yeah, if we had a late 70s, early 80s podcast, I think that'd be a little rough. I would fall asleep every episode (laughs) of our own podcast. (laughs) I don't don't agree. I just think we'd have to work really hard to find (laughs) There are gems to be found, yes. Before we get into this week's episode, Uh which we've got a lot um, to take a bite out of, what have you found this week? The thrift stores are still closed. Yes, we're we are still, still in quarantine. Still desperately finding something to tide us over until we can get the segment back. So what have you found this week? Okay, so today I walked out into the open desert, and I know I'm doing a desert find again. So I was watching the ground really closely, and I saw a big, long stick, and I thought it was, it was a rattlesnake. No, it wasn't. <laughs> My find is a rattlesnake. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I found a whole pile of discarded wood. That So, like, the landscaping crews out here in New Mexico, they, instead of paying the, like, 85-cent dump fee, go out into the desert and leave their garbage. Mm-hmm. But I found a whole bunch of wood, and I'm going to bring it home, and I'm going to repurpose it and make a trellis. Oh, nice. I yeah. like that idea. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Anyway, what's your idea? <laughs> I don't have an idea. Oh. I just have a find. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My idea is to watch what I found How okay. about that, oh. which I already did. Yeah, I you have found a different a, life. a couple more tapes online because I can't thrift... But the two I want to highlight this week is Robot Holocaust. Holocaust. And one I've really been wanting to watch for a long time, Demon Possessed by AIP, which I was really bummed out about because it's a 90s release until a friend on Instagram said, you know, that came out in the 80s, right? It just wasn't actually like released until the 90s, but it was an 80s movie. Mm. And I immediately thought, okay, that's fair game. Did you follow this up with real research? Yeah, it was 89. So it was was shot in 89? It was finished in 89. They just didn't have anybody to put it out yet. So it's (laughs) it's an 80s movie. (laughs) That happens a lot with the movies I watch. Uh Uh, Also known as The Chill Factor. So, (laughs) uh, yeah. We will... I will cover this for sure. There was another movie I was looking at today. Um... (laughs) Oh, Savage Instinct, and it has a 92 <laughs> release on it, and I was so sad because I seriously love this movie, another AIP film, uh-huh. only to find out it also was an 80s film. 
You know what? I'm filled with regret now that we did not name our podcast either The Chill Factor or Savage Instinct. <laughs> Both Whoa. of those would have been rad. What if we do... Okay, we keep doing... We're just, I don't think we're ever going to get to it, but we what? keep toying with a Patreon. And I do actually have some cool ideas now. Yeah. What if one of the segments on our Patreon is The Chill Factor? <laughs> <laughs> What would happen at the chill factor? I would just talk about cool stuff that that's chill. Like while you're chill? Yeah. Yeah. I just be but I have like a cool theme song that introduces us and be like, Welcome, you're listening to a very special episode of the Chill Factor. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Okay, I just figured that out right here on the wow. spot and I'm sticking with it. Okay. Okay, there. I'm glad we decided that. Done deal. Well, that's our finds. Robot Holocaust, Demon Possessed, both 80s films, both potential candidates for future episodes. And me, uh, Wood. And you have Wood that you found. <laughs> Actually, you didn't even bring it home. You just think you might bring it home and do something with well, it. Well, it was a lot. And our our new rescue, Philip, was scared when I tried to grab a piece of wood. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Way to... Way to add an extra detail to that story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this week, we are doing a film. Normally, we kind of figure it out. Not kind of. We always figure it out the night of recording or watching. Well, the night before we record. Yeah, we'll pick out a bunch of movies and then decide what we're in the mood to watch for the week. But this week was very rare because we knew what we were doing. Yeah, you even announced it last week. Brazenly. We are doing The Apple from 1980. And the reason why we're doing The Apple is because it's a Canon Films release. And the reason why we're doing a Canon Film is because this week, it actually just aired two days ago when this comes out. It came out on the 10th. I was a special guest on the podcast Reconcinimation, mm-hmm. which is a really cool podcast that covers 70s, 80s, 90s films. They basically, their whole premise, it's uh, John and David, they take films that they grew up on and then they rewatch them and decide if they still like them or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do much more deep dives with the history of the films and stuff like that. So they're longer episodes, but they're more involved and they're fun. And... I've known John for a while now. He's a mutual friend, and then we became friends. And they reached out to me when they first started their podcast to do the theme song because I'm a composer. And so I did this kind of Oingo Boingo meets um, Big Trouble in Little China was what they gave me to work with. That's really good parameters <laughs> for yeah. you. And I did their theme song. So if you've ever listened to Reconcinimation, that opening track is what I did. But I was very excited to come on because we did a very in-depth episode it's long and i encourage you to sit through it because it's awesome is the history of canon films and it was a beast to tackle because canon films are just a bizarre story of the 80s mm-hmm. which i might do um, a brief one on the chill factor one day <laughs> <laughs> So, we'll see. Um, but if you would please go check out Reconcinimation's episode on the history of canon films, you can hear me blab with both of them about the history. And I was really brought in as the specialist on horror and sci-fi and post-apocalyptic and stuff like that. Because it, with Laser Graves, we've covered several canon films 
I mean, America 3000 being the most recent one, but we've done so many. So it was a blast. I had so much fun. And then I thought what would be really cool is to tie in Mm -hmm. to that special episode with doing a canon film ourselves. So yeah, perfect. Yeah. So that is why we got into it. In full disclosure, I actually had two canon films to select for this week. Yep. One was The Apple. Mm Mm-hmm. One was Ninja 3, and Ninja 3 is about a female ninja because she's possessed by the soul of a samurai. Mm -hmm. You chose the apple. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, I I did this to us. Yeah. So you caused this. And that's all the information you need to know. Wait. So you're going to do Chill Factor. Does that mean I get to do a Patreon called Savage Instinct? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. okay yeah. That's, I don't know what'll happen there. It'll be instinctual. Start saving your money because uh, if you want to be a part of our Patreon, you are going to get Savage Instinct and Chill Factor special mini segments from us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Let's get to it. enough blabbing about that. Okay. Okay, The Apple, 1980. This was directed by Menahem Golem. He was an Israeli filmmaker. Mm -hmm. He was the co-founder of the modern canon films of the 80s that you would know with his cousin, Yoram Globus. Globus was more the money bags, and Golem was the big thinker, the mover and the shaker and the director. I'm not going to go into details because they are insane. Like, the story of them is so over-the-top 80s of just, like, wheeling and dealing and... Is there cocaine involved? I'm sure there's cocaine and sex parties and everything else, but it they're the ones behind all the Chuck Norris films and the Charles Bronson films and the Ninja Revival and... Wow. Everything. But- Masters of the Universe, um, all that stuff. Did they cross over and do the Three Ninjas? No, they didn't do the Three Ninjas. Well, then... But if you want to learn about their insane story, there's a great documentary, but then also go listen to Reconcinimation because that's yeah. what we did. And I'll tell you after that uh, long episode, I, I'm not in the mood to go through their history again. So, Well, and why would you? Right. You so already did it. Go check them out. But that's who we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Golan was an absolute character. Like insane, larger than life, filled up a room and had big dreams, big ideas. And the Apple was the biggest one of the time because they had just taken over Canon and they had this thing where they rarely spent like over a million dollars. And then Golan got the plan that he was going to direct a film and he was going to put Canon on the map with a musical, sci-fi musical. And the Apple was it. It was going to change the face of Canon films. Mm -hmm. We will at the end discuss... (laughs) If in fact it changed, yes, I'm extremely of society. <laughs> curious about how this was received. Okay, well, there's a little backstory. Okay, should I lead us in? Yeah, we can. Um, I guess the only real star to point out would be the very sweet uh, Catherine Mary Stewart, who we love and adore from our number one episode on Laser Graves that we led yeah. off with, Night of the Comet. This was her yeah. first, like, major breakthrough role. She's definitely younger. Very here. young, yeah. Uh, and, and less experienced. And we also covered her on another episode, Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> so this is her third time. Wow. <laughs> oh, we should just bring her on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the main one to know about. We'll talk about some others as we go along. But yeah, okay. let's get started. So this takes place in what was at that time the future 
1994. And let's just start off by saying that we watch a lot of movies about how the 1980s envisioned the future. Mm-hmm. Their vision of the future was a decade off. It was a century off. I really feel like this should have been 2194. No, but what I'm saying is they're thinking only a decade ahead. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when I think of 2030... Yeah. I think it's probably like the same, maybe a little more like some changes in technology or whatever. Right. But basically like 2010 to 2020. No biggie. <laughs> right. Like some cool stuff's happened, but not really. Right. Um, they apparently thought everything was going to be different. It was dramatically. And the original script was a 1984 because okay. the original writers had envisioned this to be more of an Orwellian style, 84 oppressive society. Okay. And when Golan got his hands on it, he had better ideas. He also, he also said it needs to be further in the future. It needs to be really futuristic. Let's make it 94. <laughs> but I do want to take a moment because it is interesting. The original story change mm-hmm. so dramatically, which is the story with everything that Golan got his hands on in canon. I think that he happens with most films. Take over and say, no, I've got better ideas, even though he didn't. Um, this was originally written in 1977 by a husband and wife named Kobe and Iris Recht. And I think they were Israeli. They knew him from way back when they were teenagers. Okay. And they wrote this big, dramatic musical with all these numbers and then realized there was no way they could put this on. It was yeah. too big. They just were having fun in their house. Well... Golan came to to visit them one time, started talking, and of course he walked away with, I will produce, direct this film, and it will be the greatest thing <sighs> that has ever been put out. We need somebody to do that with our episode. <laughs> totally. Uh, and he thought it would put Cannon on the map. By the time it was done, uh, Kobe was very disappointed because he basically had scrapped all this cool stuff that he had originally planned mm-hmm. and made it super cheesy over the top and generic and the final product was nothing like what they had originally visioned Aww. so it's a sad story but were they still friends after I don't know I didn't even check but you know basically he just got steamrolled and yeah and the apple was not not the idea that he had originally planned. Yeah, so let's hop into it. 1994, in the future, um, they have futuristic people. We can tell, as with every 1980s future movie, that this is the future because they're all wearing um, triangular shoulder pads and metallic clothing. This one in particular opens with a musical number and they all have like glass instruments too. Like plastic see-through instruments. This is straight out of the Jetsons. And this right away made me laugh because I thought their idea of the future is basically like the 70s future. Yeah. (laughs) It's not even the future. Well, it's, I mean, so it's 1980, which means they probably filmed it in 79. They did, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a bunch of, like, normal future people running in like crazy to a concert and it only becomes clear as the show's going on that it's like a competition like a battle of the bands like they do in europe Mm -hmm. um so we have this first band and my question was how many people are in the in this band because there's like eleven thousand people on the stage and two singers who are and we're gonna play a little loose with the term singers they're actually just shouting at each other oh let's play a clip this is Okay, we didn't know. Oh, yeah, we didn't mention this was a first time watch. If you hadn't put that together, <laughs> yeah, we had no clue what we were getting into, but we knew it was going to be a wild one because we watched the trailer. 
this is the very first musical number we get, and we both were like, uh, "What?" Here's what we were hearing being shouted at each other. <laughs> there ain't no pride. There ain't no shame. There ain't no sympathy. Okay, this, not your strongest number to come out with. No. And the dancing was over the top, too. Choreography done by a guy named Nigel uh, Lithgow. He was the head judge on So You Think You Can Dance. That's what he went on to do. He (laughs) seriously, like, did everything. He took out all of his dance moves, put them into a jar, and he would shake the jar out, and he'd be like, okay, we're going to pelvic thrust for nine minutes here this and we get full musical numbers throughout the whole so film who we've done a lot of musicals on this podcast and i'm always like a fan of like fun ones i'm okay with it. i'm not a musical person but i do like when one's just like a blast you know like yeah um get crazy was a good one yeah uh what was the one that we did not too long ago the space one i don't know i seriously don't know what we did last week wait no i do what do we do are you serious the children we already mentioned it that was not a musical okay it should have been (laughs) it would have been like a goth musical because of all the black nails oh what the hell okay okay so i did notice the audience is cheering and apparently they're measuring the success of the music by heartbeats because in the control room they're like 138 heartbeats they're going to win. But yeah. Okay, so whatever, who cares about that? But the audience is all waving glow sticks and this is the <laughs> one thing that they got right about the 90s. <laughs> there were a lot of glow sticks. Yeah, glow except sticks. there wasn't a rave. This is basically just a disco. Yeah, there was nobody spinning invisible orbs through the air. The helper that's behind the scenes watching the heartbeat monitor is this guy who's got the most elaborate costume. Every single scene has a huge costume he situation. He is straight up Chris Tucker from The Fifth Element. Do you remember? <laughs> no, yes! Is it dead on or is it dead Do on? Do you think that they referenced that? Because I feel like that's... There's a couple times I actually thought they referenced it. Because later on, there's this yeah. opera singer out of nowhere that's like... And I was like, wait, is this... This is Fifth Element too. Yeah, I see it. No, this dude is straight up Chris Tucker, Fifth Element. Yeah, I, I mean, I often am like, do you think... No, do you this think they're is, referencing? Yeah. But I, I really do believe that in this for sure. So anyway, there's this competition, and the lead singers of this a thousand people band uh, are named Pandy and Dandy, whatever. And then we go to uh, another duo who come on. They're the only other act we see in this competition. Their names are Alfie and BB, and they sing what is essentially the most tedious version of a 1970s love song anybody has ever sung in the world it's so singer songwriter and i thought you're making a film in the 80s and the futuristic music you're using is in the 70s or maybe even the 60s and in which case it makes sense because of where this weird film takes us so it's kind of like a band now being like a nirvana revival yeah we should actually (laughs) uh play a sample Oh, you want one? Oh, well, we gotta give it. Okay. Well, I also think people should suffer through what we had to suffer through. We so. did this for you. Here you go. You're the light within my darkness. You're my shelter from the storm. Okay. 
Okay, so it's so tedious. They sing about love being a universal melody, which I threw up. I just threw up everywhere, but it was invisible. It wasn't real puke, but I felt it. The lyrics were all translated, too, from like Hebrew to English (sighs) with the two original writers and... Get this, mm-hmm. George S. Clinton, the composer that, you know, the guy, he did Austin Powers and Mortal Kombat and everything else. This was one of his first big, he had done um, Cheech and Chong, but this was the oh, first yeah. time because we will talk about this later. Money was being thrown left and right at this, that he had ever conducted a live orchestra, <laughs> but he was brought on to help translate with them. So these <laughs> lyrics, I don't even know how to explain how on the nose they are, but there is no symbolism or metaphor. It is straight up like, I have a heart that I use to say I love you with. And also to pump blood through my body. No, they don't say that. But it was one of those kind of things where you just kind of rub your own temples and hoping that your brain doesn't explode outward. I was okay for the first like five musical numbers because they... I'm not exaggerating. They do about two or three lines of dialogue and then break into another musical Mm -hmm. number the entire film. There is so much music packed into this. So, okay. So Alfie and BB, they're singing their song. And at first the audience is revolting. And I wrote in my notes, the audience is very rightly revolting. And, but then somehow the, the message of love conquers (laughs) the, conquers the audience and they start to calm down and their heartbeat rating goes way up and they're about to beat the first song of pandy and dandy and so there's they're sabotaged essentially and the audience gets angry at these moony-eyed dorks and they revolt so they don't win Alfie and BB lose to Pandy and Dandy. This is where we first meet the main guy who oversees it all. He's like the... He's an agent. He's the agent. His name's uh, Boogaloo. Yes. <laughs> like Electric Boogaloo almost. but Almost. <laughs> which was a canon film also. But he's the agent and he basically is like, these losers can't win. We need the hot disco act to win. Well, he they're his clients. He hasn't signed Alfie and BB, so he right. needs his clients. So to they win. they sabotage it, yeah. Okay, after they're lost, the couple is invited to an after party by Mister Bugalo, and um, they go there. And Alfie is definitely apprehensive about why they're going. And BB, the girl, is like, yep, we're going. This is a great opportunity for us. So they go there. BB is all in. She takes a drink, starts to hit the sauce. And Alfie's like, I don't drink. Also, they're randomly from Moose Jaw, Canada. (laughs) And they mention it like three or four times. Who cares? Well, they're Canadian. I think that's why. (laughs) (laughs) So Alfie begins to talk to Mr. Boogaloo while the singer from the Victoria's band, the male singer, Dandy, he takes BB off and um, he seduces her. And he is- gives her drugs right away. So she's drinking, taking drugs and being seduced at her very first party. After like so 30 seconds. Right. Could you see like. Oh, she's so innocent. Bright eyed Canadian songwriter coming to like L.A. Oh. <laughs> And this is also where we are introduced to BIM marks. BIM marks are triangles. They're like metallic triangles. You wrote that down. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Uh, So these BIM marks are triangles. And I think, although it is never made clear, I think they provide drugs to the person. It's unclear. Is it? 
I think so. I think it's like a mind control drug. Okay. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. They don't make anything clear. So deal with that information. <laughs> so they, uh, Dandy seduces her and he sings her, because we have to have another song. He sings about how she was made for him, like exclusively made for him, Dandy. He is her king. And so there's like a duet situation that happens. Everyone in, has metallic triangles on their heads. They're dancing around and Alfie is peeved, but they oh, leave. Yeah. And the next day, they're invited to go to sign a contract with Mr. Bugalo at his office. They go in, and while they're in the waiting room, we get another song that is bonkers. We're not going to cover every song that they go through in this, because it's it's just too much. It, you know what? We are going to play it. You gotta. <laughs> we gotta do because it. Because this one features the vocal talents of Mr. Bugalo himself. <laughs> Okay. No, I'm making people listen to it. Here you go. <laughs> like a puppet on the string. Like a monkey on the swing. Man is clinging to the ropes of the fantasies and hopes we are dangling. Mr. Boogalo. He's so eager to believe. Okay. Ooh. Also, you failed to mention the futuristic cars that they pull up in. I did. Which, shock, uh, this also had, like Warriors of the Wasteland, bubble cars. Yeah. Like cars with bubbles on top and tubes just randomly attached. Oh, if we could have transported them to the future and they saw our cars, they'd be like, eh. It's weird. We, we I've never more. seen a car driving around with a bubble. And it's 2020. Although we do have those box cars, the kinds... They're yeah, like cubes. Yeah, but those my, aren't anywhere. My brother like bought one of those. What a yeah. dork. <laughs> <laughs> we just lost the like two listeners that we had that drive those cubes. They're like, they feel cool when I have it. Guys. Okay, so uh, they listen, they endure this uh, waiting room song, and then they go up to sign this contract. Uh, they're going to get fame, I guess. And BB has no questions. Alfie's like, we really need a lawyer. And BB's like, Psh, nope, <laughs> whatever. And then I'm, I'm going to spare you the details. Alfie has visions of um, Mr. Bugalo as Satan and his assistant, the Chris Tucker character, is yes. uh, a serpent and they're offering them the apple. So, okay. This is what they're doing. They're going to shove this information down our throats. Okay. This would have made more sense if you would have known this fun fact. Okay. I read this and I laughed even harder because if you have actually seen the apple, you know what you're in for. You got to see the apple. It's okay. a well, singular experience. The film originally had an opening, a very big, over-the-top production opening that okay. was cut. Okay. A $1 million scene opening. What? I am not joking. In, in 1980, that's $14 billion today. It was basically the creation, which had God and the devil and everybody else. Actually, that would have made the conclusion of this movie make more 100%, sense. 100%. And that was the criticism, was the ending <laughs> makes zero sense because we never had a beginning. So... <laughs> The beginning originally had this over-the-top creation story of um, Alfie being like Adam and being created by God. But they had, uh, Golan had like actual 
live animals come up oh, on my goodness. and it was mixed with humans in dinosaur costumes who were basically passing out because they were so hot <laughs> and it became this huge disaster <laughs> cost a million dollars to shoot <laughs> and it never even got aired oh it's somewhere and i want to see it so badly i was so happy when i read that because it makes perfect sense considering this film oh my god so we didn't even get that musical number Okay, um, anyway, uh, Alfie refuses to sign the contract, BB signs, easy peasy, and he throws a temper tantrum and he runs away. And then let's scoot ahead, Boogaloo has a very long song about being a master. Yeah, we're this gonna is... gloss over this one, uh, because it could be... Let's just It doesn't say, age well, we'll say that. Let's just say it's deeply offensive, uh, in a way that is... Uh, troubling and will haunt me to the end of my days. Let's just say that Boogaloo, a uh, middle-aged white guy, is singing a reggae song. About being About a being a master. And guess who the backup singers are. But I will say this. Hmm. In contemporary times when it came out, mm-hmm. people were offended not because of that, what? which we are offended by now, yeah. which does not age well at all. The reading on it when it came out was... That it was an S&M song because they're all in like bondage and chains. And he's basically telling her, I will whip you into shape. I will be your master. And people were offended at the time it came out. By for, S&M? For, by S&M. <laughs> and now later we're offended because it's just insanely racist. But And now we're like, S&M, who cares? You do you. But yeah. let's talk about Although the Although there issue. is a lot of S&M. There's a lot of Judas Priest outfits in this uh, oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Wow. And vampires for no reason. <laughs> there is a couple vampires. <laughs> Whatever. Um... <laughs> In the process of this horrible song, uh, BB transforms. She, like, makes her transition by exercising because obviously she's not fit enough for him. And she's now a big star. Like, he ingests her at the beginning of the song and poops her out of big star. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> it, is this where we get to her big musical number? Yes. So now we are oh. going to experience famous BB. She is performing a, a song called speed okay she for the record does not sing in real life no because this is a different voice than she was singing with earlier okay she suddenly sounds like melissa etheridge she there was like 200 people that tried out she was just a dancer that's what she was trying out okay she'd never really been in anything and i i think it was one of the original writers saw her and was like there's something about her that seems like she would be great for the role of bb lied to golan and said no she's got amazing voice and she didn't sing so uh she got cast and then golan found out and was like uh no you're taking vocal lessons right away and then she learned everything and then at the last minute uh he got cold feet and brought in a professional singer Mm -hmm. to overdub her voice i read an interview with her and she was like look to look back now years from now and it sounds great for the vocal parts i'm fine with somebody else's voice to my face because i was not ready to sing that song basically yeah but it's not her so fans of of her um which we are i mean just people who grew up on the 80s movies with her in them that's not her singing however she's uh full force with this musical number speed yeah so we have her she's Wearing a very special outfit. She's singing a song about um, America. There's also a bunch of 
biker dancers. Uh-huh. And weirdly, in the group of biker dancers, I recognize from college, you know how in college sometimes we would randomly turn on soap operas? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a woman from a soap opera. She's uh, Her name's Finola Hughes from All My Children. And I recognize her. She's just in the crowd, but... Just dancing early Somebody in will hear that information and care. There Maybe she, she will, and she'll chime in and be like, hey. I don't think what's, so. Uh, she listens. Hey, I know Finola. It. Also, that's a cool name. Okay, to point out, you know, we've talked about how the lyrics are so, like, they're just not sugarcoating anything. No. This song's called Speed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guess what it's about, and I'll give you a hint. Not cars. Here you go. America, the home of the brave, is popping pills to keep up the pace. And every day she cries out for more. Speed! From New York out to L.A., everybody does it her way. Popping power by the hour. Speed! I can feel it. Okay. Okay, so obviously, with lyrics like that, you're going to be famous. Let's check in and see what's happened to Alfie. Let's cut to a cop ticketing an old lady because she is not wearing a BIM mark on her head. Remember, BIM marks are the upside down, or maybe they're right side up. The triangles, the metallic triangles people are wearing on their faces. She is actually Alfie's landlord. Oh, this was one of Golan's big ideas to insert this character, too. Okay, this character is played by somebody. It was driving me bonkers because I recognized her. And, okay, if you've been listening, you know I've been reading Harry Potter to our daughters. (laughs) And I'm in it deep, guys. I'm super, super deep into Harry Potter. Anyway, she plays Professor Sprout in the movies. Holy guacamole. That's all. <laughs> we immediately get another musical number. I couldn't. Obviously. This is, I think this is where I stopped. I think she, this is where I shut down. This is, okay. So she goes into his room, <laughs> treats him like a son. She is simply the landlord. And he's mothering, she's mothering him. And then he grabs her breasts. Yes. And then breaks into song. I... Okay, at first I was like, well, this is kind of fun, you know, <laughs> like the Apple song was kind of Rocky Horror Picture Show-esque, like a little glam Rocky. I was like, okay, maybe the rest of the songs were so bad. I'm like, maybe there'll be another good song. I was not prepared for the amount of music. And by the time we had seriously gone from speed to this one, it had taken minutes mm-hmm. and I was not ready for another musical number and I sh- I seriously shut down at this point mm-hmm. it was so insane and the lyrics for this song I'm not even going to sample nah. it because I can't deal with it anymore <laughs> were so stupid this is crazy these are Israeli filmmakers mm-hmm. with Canadian actors shooting in Germany about the future of America that is what we are dealing with <laughs> I like, I can't even, I don't even know. So anyway, Alfie's poor now. He's trying to sell songs, but it's not, he doesn't have his finger on the pulse of contemporary music. So he's failing. Anyway, he goes to a park. He's sitting in in the park being sad and gets a ticket because he doesn't have a BIM mark. And this is where I go, oh, is Mr. Boogalow running the world? (laughs) The answer is yes, apparently. (laughs) So, and a musical agent 
is running the world now. And we learned that at four o'clock every day, cars have to pull off the road, everybody stops, and it's BIM hour. Okay, I tend to seem like I'm over-exaggerating with things, but can you explain so people don't think I'm insane? I said that we went from one musical number to another, like in zero time. Mm -hmm. We just finished with his musical number with the landlord. How long do you think it was before we got to this one? Well... But hold on. We had the musical with the landlord. <laughs> then he had to try and sell his song, which he sang. <laughs> then he was sat in a park, and now we're having another musical number. And I am a musician. I mm-hmm. compose music for film. You think I would be okay with this? No. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it anymore. Okay, so... So much music. Dear listener, you know we have a history with the theater <laughs> that we're keeping vague... For very real purposes, reasons, secret reasons, whatever. We have problems and experience with people of the theater. And this was giving me full flashbacks in the way that gave me a very visceral reaction. You were like shaking like you were going through, um, I don't know. I wrote in my notes, I can't take this, so much choreography, frowny face emoji. I wrote an emoji in I my felt notes. like you were just going to get up without words and go into the corner and just curl up in a ball and start crying. <laughs> I did in a spiritual sense. I did in a mental sense. Okay, so we're at BIM hour. Everybody stops and then they have to do fitness and dancing and they repeat the same line. Do you want to sample this line? I kind of don't, but I will, because there is one line, no, like, uh, chord changes or anything. Mm-hmm. I lost count at, like, 40. It was one billion. It, I'm not joking. It just repeated this one Nothing line. else. For, like, 50 times while people dance, like, cops, firefighters while a building was on fire. Yeah. Doctors nuns, in surgery. Nuns <laughs> like, in a yard. Danced to this one line for, seriously, three minutes. Here you go. You're lucky. You remember that guy who plays the saxophone? Yeah. And then there's somebody on YouTube did the clip where they repeated it for like... Um, 10 hours. 10 hours. I think there's like a million hours now. It was this song. I had already given up, but it was this song when I said, are they ever going to change the line? Is anything going to change in this song? No. That I realized that... I've watched a lot of movies that are an hour and a half. Do you realize how high our tension is here? I am passionate about my frustration with this. I felt like I was already watching like a Christopher Nolan Inception length movie. Had it been three hours? It hadn't been. Nope. Where have I been? This is a 90-minute movie. This is no Rocky Horror, but I was... In the time warp, for sure. <laughs> oh, it's nowhere <laughs> like, near Rocky Horror. It whoa. wishes. Okay, and then we also, I'm going to really kind of skip through this. BB sings about how she is unhappy and missing Alfie, and he also does a song about missing BB, and they sing at the rain. And then oh, Alfie. No, no, no. He gets beat up first. Okay. okay, wait. I was trying to skip past this. I will not sample this song, too, because it happens immediately after. <laughs> But it's a 70s ballad called Alfie that they're singing to each other. Alfie. Okay. (laughs) Just this actually made me almost cry. I was laughing so hard. (laughs) Alfie 
is singing this ballad after getting beat up. He's got a bloody nose. It starts raining. So he's wandering through the streets of Berlin that's supposed to be futuristic America. He's wandering with a bloody nose Mm. in the rain, singing, and then goes home and gets drunk and then sings out the window to her. Yes, and she sings back, but she also has Romulan eyebrows for no reason. I actually really... This is... Okay, you know there's like um, stages of grief when you lose somebody? (laughs) I feel like this is what happened with this film, is I had finally accepted my fate. I had finally like gotten over the anger stage of grief. I was still in denial at and this point. And I was in delirium at this point because by the time I looked and he had a bloody nose and was drunk singing out the window in the rain, mm-hmm. I was all in. And I think after this point, I actually loved this movie. You did settle in. I was like, you know what? Fuck I it. did not. I am like settling in and I am along for the ride. So you know how people have fight or flight instincts? It's actually fight, flight, or freeze. You froze here, but I was still ready to fight. I wanted to fight every minute of this movie. I was probably your savage instinct, which I'd love to hear more about on Patreon. (laughs) Anyway, then Alfie's landlord feeds him soup. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a long scene. And after the soup, Alfie decides he's going to go to... (laughs) So then Alfie decides he's going to go to a party at Mr. Boogaloo's because he wants to get Mr. Boogaloo to release BB from her contract. And while there, he gets uh, drugged. And uh, he's trying to find BB, but he's all drugged up. It's somehow also a drag parade. And then the (laughs) female singer, Pandy, finds him and she tries to seduce him. He's not interested because obviously he's got eyes for BB alone. And then, then we skip to another musical number, which includes very weird, psychedelic, simulated sex choreography, but with absolutely zero nudity. Oh, yeah. This song's called Coming. And <laughs> I'm not joking. This is right it after is the not soup subtle. scene. Okay, this is this song. The, the uh, woman who sings it was super uncomfortable with the lyrics and yeah. was like, I don't feel comfortable singing They're this song. so awful. And had to be convinced you're not singing it, your character's singing it. Oh my gosh, On that canon women. documentary, when I was researching for the Reconcinimation episode, uh-huh. there's a scene with Mary in there, Mary Catherine, that is talking about this because this was her first major film. Mm-hmm. And she said with this whole scene too, she had no clue that it was this obvious. She oh. was just excited that they were like in a musical Aww. and that it was after she watched it that she was like, what? What? <laughs> what? Because this song, yes, is called Coming and they're in a bed and they are doing a very elaborate uh, musical number. 
So basically what happens is that Pandy drugs and then rapes yeah. <laughs> Alfie. Yeah. Full-fledged. But there's there's no nudity. It's awful. Then Alfie wanders around. He's got apparently these drugs give him kaleidoscopic vision because everything looks like it's shot through a kaleidoscope. And he finds BB in bed with Dandy. Yeah, and then we're going to skip to the next this- day. He is wandering th- and goes into a park. <laughs> oh, dude, this film. I think I might. He's, we'll say Let's save it. First, he is discovered sleeping on a park bench by an old man with nine, I counted them, children standing next to him who are all just staring at Alfie asleep on a park bench. Okay, he takes them to a refugee camp, but not just any refugee camp. No, this is a special kind of camp. It is refugee hippies from the 60s <laughs> who are living in the park. They have to hide, though, because they are not part of Mr. Boogaloo, Boogaloo's world. I felt like I was just on some wild trip at this point, And I was like, what am I even watching? Who knows? I had completely lost track of what was going on mm-hmm. because it is so bizarre to have a park full of hippies that he has wandered into and been accepted by. And now this is his society that he's going to live with. Well, okay. Old hippies from the 60s. Flashback to his first song. This is where he's belonged all <laughs> that is along. true. Okay. And then Pandy, after having drugged and raped um, <laughs> Alfie, she goes up to Bibi and she's like, go to Alfie now. Yeah. Why? Oh, and then we get, uh, Pandy gets to have a musical number, which is a very sad and depressing one. Mm-hmm. Here's what uh, she has to say. I was so empty and numb inside. Now I'm full of feeling again. I'm laughing. I'm crying. Oh, and then, so, during, when the police come and break up the hippie encampment, um, everybody kind of scatters, but the old man tells Alfie that he can find the hippies hiding in a cave under the bridge. Okay, yes. I have to stop here. (laughs) Because I seriously was like, there's no way they're actually living in a cave. Oh, yeah. Under the bridge. Um, okay, put a little pin in that one. Yeah, so BB <laughs> decides now, like, fame isn't enough for her. She, like, hunts down. She becomes a super sleuth, finds the landlord, Professor Sprout, and she tells him, or tells BB that Alfie has gone to this hippie cave. So apparently, now BB is duetting with Pandy's song. And finally, BB finds the a shirtless hippie who leads her to the hippie cave. And it's an actual cave under the bridge. And then... Not she, like a tunnel, like an actual cave. And she enters the cave and you and I both go, oh, now there's a sitar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody <laughs> was totally George Harrison up in there with a sitar. And then they perform a duet called Child of Love. So they've been reunited. <laughs> Okay, Alfie also rips the triangle sticker off her head. Yeah. So she's been, like, freed yep. of her bonds. And they hung, hug the hippie sway. And now we're in the future. We can tell it's the future because 
BB and Alfie have a child. Oh, yeah. Okay, and Boogaloo comes up because they're still living in the park when they're not in their cave. They yep. basically, okay, so these hippies live in a cave under a bridge and then once a day go out and just hang out in the park. How do you know it's once a day? This is so crazy. <laughs> Boogaloo comes over and says, you're still under contract. You owe us $10 million. Okay, Boogaloo. And the lead hippie goes, $10 million, That's all. And then also at some point, there is a, a cops come in like Monty Python style. I said it. W- I, I wrote in my notes, there's the a triangle police because they want to ticket all the hippies for not having the bim marks on their head. It is no joke like the end of Holy Grail when the cops just come and break everything <laughs> up. That is what it felt like. And then if this oh, could not get any crazier, this is where go. the $1 million scene that was cut from the beginning would have made a ton more sense. Yeah, I mean, even then... Okay. Okay. Let's talk about the ending of this film. Okay. So in the sky, <laughs> over these about to be arrested hippies in a in a park, having left their cave, comes up a golden. Is it a Rolls Royce? I don't. Yeah, know. I think it is a Rolls Royce. It it comes up. It's like semi transparent and it's gigantic above the tree. <laughs> Through the clouds. Above the trees. And... And, Oh, wow. Out comes a man. He's... (laughs) He's very subtly named Mr. Tops. Because, obviously... He's God, and Mr. Boogalow is the devil. Hey, fun fact. Mr. Tops is the lead hippie in a different outfit. I, You know what I wrote in my notes? Is this hippie God? And then Mr. Tops came, and I was like, I guess Mr. Tops is God. I don't know what that big hippie is. Okay. It's the same actor. I believe that now. Anyway, Mr. Tops arrives from the sky, and he says he's going to take all the hippies in apparently this one giant gold car floating above the sky or above the sky pandy also joins in they all become translucent walk up into the sky and mr top says he's going to take all of his hippies to a boogalo free planet and there you go that's um, it that is how the film ends <laughs> Imagine 1980 sitting in a theater and watching this for the first time. Okay, here's the crazy thing. Canon was known for making super cheap films and then banking because if they flopped, it didn't matter at all. Because they'd invested like $900. But because Golan was directing this and he was convinced this was the the ticket. This was going to put them on the map. He put the money in. Originally, it was supposed to be a $4 million budget, which uh-huh. was already Crazy. way over Canon's budget. Ended up being a $10 million budget. What? Keep in mind. Where did that money go? Well, $1 million of it was for a scene that didn't even show up in the film. Where did $9 million go? George S. Clinton said that the um, studio that he was recording with a 200-piece orchestra that he had never <laughs> conducted before. Also, he didn't have a baton. He used a chopstick oh, from down the street at the I Chinese restaurant. That. I know. I really love That's it, too. That's cute. was $7,000 a day just to do <sighs> mixing, like, on it. Oh. So this got out of control really fast. I but, see that. But Golan was convinced. Doesn't matter 
because this is it. We're going to make all our money back and this is going to be our ticket to paradise. They have their screenings and uh-huh. guess how they go. I, I think they didn't go well. They don't go well. I'll share just two stories of different screenings with you. <sighs> One, they handed out uh, free vinyl soundtracks to every person that entered the theater. Uh-huh. And halfway through, uh, people were throwing the records at the screen out <gasps> of anger so much that they damaged the actual screen. Whoa. True story. I believe this. Second is even more insane. This was in Montreal. Halfway through the film, the crowd was booing so bad at this film that Golan got up, went to his hotel room, stood on his balcony, and as the story goes, was about to commit suicide because he was so... Okay, before you get too sad, I've seen a lot of interviews with him, and he's a fast talker. I believe he's melodramatic. I think he's a bit melodramatic. I've seen this movie. (laughs) I... But apparently he was talked down just at the last moment of okay. about to jump off a balcony. That's still sad. I mean, obviously, it's a cry for help. Essentially, he needed a cry for help because this was a disaster. Yeah. And even after it bombed, like majorly bombed, yeah. and Canon, this was their biggest budget to date, Ooh. he seriously was telling people, like, they don't get it there is no way the film is this bad they just don't understand what i was trying to do and this was rough stuff for canon which would not be the the last time that they would take a massive swing and a miss but while the apple uh did not make its money back we'll say that i i believe this and most of the criticism was on the script was pretty incomprehensible yeah the acting was horrible and the musical numbers were unbearable and you know what i uh, normally i i kind of um come into the defense <laughs> especially for bad movies but yeah uh that's, that's pretty accurate well okay so I, I don't like to say bad things. It's really not good, but all these people really put a lot of energy into it. Uh, it made me think, actually I thought about this several times as I was watching it. Um, sometimes when our our daughters listen to pop music and you and I are like, bleh, bleh, and our oldest daughter says, hey, somebody worked really hard on this. Yeah, our 10-year-old daughter <laughs> Like a, a little us. Buddha, and yeah. we're like, oh, fine. Yeah. Fine, you're right. We'll keep our mouths shut. So somebody, a lot of somebody's worked really, really hard on this. I kind of feel like people need to see this. Um, okay, <laughs> yeah. You and I both have, like, an aversion to musical theater. So maybe if you love musical theater, you'll love this okay whatever it is what it is take it or leave it if you love this great i am not bashing the people that worked on it not any single person i actually think that everybody that was in it did a great job it's just not a good movie i feel like (laughs) not in like a fun not good movie this is a two way too many cooks in the kitchen scenario yeah (laughs) they threw in every ingredient in that kitchen All right, well, we went above and beyond and covered the apple. I feel like this is one that we will not soon forget. No. How can you? We'll probably follow it up with a palate cleanser next week. Like Golden Child, maybe? Golden Child, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I need it. I need, if ever, to follow through. Maybe this is our week. Maybe. Probably not. 
<sighs> okay, well, if you like what you heard, <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram. Yeah, take deep breaths. We're at Laser Graves. You can listen to our podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Please tell friends, family, coworkers, yeah. uh, Zoom conference coworkers, and Ooh. say, dude, you guys are bored. You're pretending to work. You need to listen to this podcast. If you're looking for ideas on um, what to do with things you find in the desert, yeah. here's the podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. That really, really helps us. Thank yeah, you to everybody thank you. that's been doing it. And then if you want to follow us on our personal sites on Instagram, I'm at death at 33 RPM. I'm at Mariah Rose Wimmer. And we made it, Mariah. High five. Was, we air, made it through. Air high five as we're walking into the clouds. Savage instinct. <laughs> uh, chill factor. Chill factor. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.